ओम Translation, punishment in the hell called Maharaurava is compulsory for a person who maintains his own body by hurting others. In this hell, Ruru animals known as Kravyada torment him and eat his flesh. Purport, the animalistic person who lives simply in the bodily concept of life is not excused. He is put into the hell known as Maharurava and attacked by Ruru animals known as Kravyadas. <clears throat> when I hear these descriptions of hell, I think, I don't want to go there. How, how I should save myself from hell, not do what is required to go to hell. Purikshit Maharaj heard this in a different way. He didn't think, how I can be saved from hell, we'll find in the uh, beginning of the next canto, the sixth canto. Parikshit Maharaj asks how others can be saved from hell. He had a different perspective, different way of hearing. He wasn't afraid of going to hell. He wasn't thinking that he would go to hell. He was, uh, but he was concerned with others, the same mood as Prahlad Maharaj, Narivod Vijay, Paradurataya, Vaitaranyas, Tamvirya. What is that? Tamvirya? Gayana, Mahamrita, Magna Chitta, Shocheta Tobi, Mukachetasa, Indriyata, Maya Sukhaya Bharam, Udvahato Vimurha. He said that, Prahlad Maharaj said that, I'm not uh, in any anxiety myself, I'm very happy. Simply by remembering your name, Nrsimha. Here is Nrsimha. Remembering your name, your prowess, your qualities. I'm very happy. But I'm unhappy when I think of the fools and rascals who are attempting to be happy in this material world and actually making for themselves uh, hellish existence. So, hell and brimstone is a description of hell. There are certain religionists who uh, base their, 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 the whole basis of their faith and their religion and their preaching is hell and heaven. And maybe more they talk about hell than heaven. I must admit, on the plane coming here, I read a Newsweek article about a boy in Pakistan who'd been recruited by Al Qaeda. Is that right? Al Qaeda, something like that. And uh, he was describing how he was very enthusiastic to become a what's the word for mata in Arabic? Shaf. Something like that. I don't remember the word. Shafir. Not Kafir. Shahid? Shahid. 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 And he was very enthusiastic and he said that I'm, and he was, uh, Brahmachari. <laughs> he wasn't worrying about the girls here because he thought, you know, what, what's the use of messing around with them and messing up my chances of going to heaven where I'll have unlimited virgins. That was his, motive. And uh, many religionists, they seem to be more fixated on hell than any 
love of God and they, they seem to almost relish the prospect of others wailing and gnashing their teeth in hell. Uh, so it's not surprising that many people, uh, intelligent people, and at least with some worldly intelligence, they reject this kind of religion for what it is. It's just childish. It's, it's not scientific description. Of course, there is hell, uh, or actually many hells described in Srimad Bhagavatam and other Puranas. It's not just a one-size-fits-all hell. There are different hells and uh, it's scientific understanding. You get what you deserve. It's not that uh, as according to, again, it's very puerile is to use a fancy word, childish understanding that well, if you just believe in whatever our church says, whatever that might be, or you just believe in Jesus, whatever that might mean, I don't know if they ever tried to really analyze what it means, uh, then you go to heaven. And if you don't, you go to heaven. It's like, you know, it's the one condition. And uh, that's it. That's, you only have one chance. It's hit or miss. You either hit the jackpot... Oh, you're finished forever. By the grace of the all-merciful, all-loving God, if you just don't get it right, or you happen to be born in Thailand, where there's hardly any Christians by their culture, then uh, you go to hell forever. God hates the Thais. God bless America and hates the Thais, because they're all born in a culture where they never, many of them never heard of Jesus and and want to speak of all the people before, born before him. And anyway, they all go to hell because the all-merciful God sends them there forever. Uh, and they all go to the same hell. They all, it's not, there's no varieties there. But, uh, you all get the same punishment. You could be a good Samaritan, or, but if you don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell forever. Whereas if you're a drunkard, meat-eating Christian and you, believe, you say your prayers before you eat your roast beef, then you go to heaven. And I hope they have good McDonald's up there too. <laughs> but here the d description is more scientific in the sense that it's, it's again based on the un understanding that the universe, God is not whimsical. He's not a whimsical despot who just takes pleasure of hurting others. People who hurt others, as is described in what we meant, what we just read, they go to hell. So why should God himself be like that? For no reason, simply hurting others. This is a, a completely tamasic outlook. Uh, there are different kinds of hells which, in which people are punished according to what they do. And some of the descriptions, they overlap. And here it's stated that those who maintain, uh, one who maintains his body by hurting others goes to Maharova. And in the text, which will be read tomorrow, or is scheduled to be read tomorrow, those who for the maintenance of their bodies and satisfy their tongues, cook animals and birds alive. It's a, it's a more specific variety of what's been mentioned in the verse we've just or the, the text that we've just read one who maintains his body by hurting others such a person goes to the hell called kumbi park where they are cooked in boiling oil so it's a horrible description but we accept as a fact just as in the text read yesterday, uh, the existence of rurus, they are not known in this world, they're very envious creatures called rurus, they're not known in this world, but their existence is accepted because it's described, actually, uh, Jiva Goswami says, Muninaeva Tika, 
in the commentaries of the or the sub-commentaries of the Muni. So greatly uh, learned person. Muni means he should be learned and not only learned but saintly and in this case uh, realized. So they accept. And of course Vyasa Muni he is the uh, compiler of the Shastra. So he has described the existence of rulers and he's described the existence of hell. So we accept it as a, a fact. We haven't seen it, although we've seen hellish conditions in this world. And uh, paradoxically, almost, we find in this country, uh, in America, which has more than any other country in the world probably got all arrangements for people to live comfortably and with sense enjoyment, we find many people in hellish consciousness. They're suffering. Uh, people, just like taking intoxication. People who take intoxication means they're suffering. If you, if you, why should you want to take intoxication? Intoxication alters the consciousness. They're not satisfied with the consciousness they're in, so they, they want to... Uh, alter the consciousness, which which makes uh, actually more, although it might give some temporary euphoria, it gives uh, increasingly, as people use it, their consciousness becomes more and more hellish, and they're actually suffering. They may physically, they may not have rurus, what's this, with the horn, what do you call that? Poking them, what's the word? It's jabbing them, there may be many words for this. They don't have rurus jabbing them, but they have uh, mental rurus. They're, they're always sada samudvigna, chinta maparimeyamcha. These are the descriptions of Shastra. They're always in anxiety, always full of cares and worries. So actually suffering tremendously, even though there's, physically speaking, there's no cause for suffering. They, they may have you know, food, clothing, shelter, the basic necessities of uh, physical existence. But nevertheless, there's suffering tremendously. So these are the de- descriptions of uh, hell, which are given in the Sriman Bhagavatam. Although it's, it's not highlighted, it's definitely there, but... Uh, the Bhagavatam is more concerned with the glorification of Bhagavan and the Bhaktas. It's a more positive approach than simply believe and go to hell, or go to hell, sorry. <laughs> believe or go to hell. The description is there. It's not uh, that there isn't hell, but it's not a, a major part of our study or focus. We know it's there. The devotees, they endeavor to uh, save people from that situation, but uh, not simply by instilling fear in them, but rather by giving them, first of all, knowledge of the uh, facts, of the reality of our situation, beginning with we are not the body, we are eternal, spiritual, living beings, and uh, presenting that we are controlled. Therefore, there is a, we are controlled. We don't want to die, but we have to die. We grow old, but we don't want to grow old. We get disease, we don't want to get disease. Therefore, it is uh, reasonable to accept that there is a supreme controller, and that supreme controller is our best friend and benefactor. So if we simply submit to be controlled by him, that is in our best interest. And as long as we're not controlled by him, then uh, everything is hellish, actually. For a devotee, Narayana para sarve naku tasjina bhibhuti svargapabhaga narakeshvati tulyartadarshan A devotee doesn't see heaven as being intrinsically better than hell. Or even a liberation from material existence as being intrinsically better than hell. 
if there, he sees where there's where is there an opportunity to serve Krishna, that for a devotee is uh, his best place. And where there's, of course, any place one can serve Krishna. So in the same again, for a devotee, it's uh, any situation is the same. Uh, in the, in this material, immaterial existence, it's all by by its very nature, the whole of material existence is uh, an unpalatable situation for a devotee. He doesn't find a heavenly place. He doesn't become enlivened by that. And he doesn't become distressed by a horrible place. In a, in a nasty place, he doesn't become disturbed. And in a nice place, he doesn't become enthusiastic to enjoy. This is the situation of a devotee. It just goes on steadily with his service. Just like we see Srila Prabhupada. He, wherever he went, sometimes, sometimes he'd be in a palatial building, sometimes in a hut in Bhuvaneshwara, uh, or sometimes in a situation, and he was in New York City with no... Uh, nothing, actually. Physically, with almost nothing. And uh, not very good living condition, but Srila Prabhupada, wherever he went, he was completely satisfied. And he wrote his books, uh, and he gradually built up his movement, and gave people this knowledge by which they could be uh, eternally satisfied. So, getting back to this description of hell, yeah, what I was saying about the. Uh, a description of hell given in the uh, Abrahamic religions has is one of the factors which turns off or turns many people off religion. It's the, the, you know you all know America is the homeland of the hellfire and brimstone preaching. Maybe not Los Angeles so much, but definitely it's here also. Uh, this. Uh, this kind of preaching, it, it, it yeah, it, it turns many people off. It's it's question of questionable how much good is done by such preacher or Christians or whatever in general. Definitely, the 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 fact that in the Western world the the knowledge of God is there. It's in my estimation, it's a, it's a plus. Overall, that there has been Christianity in the Western world, it's better than there has than if there hadn't been. Of course, the pre-Christian world was. Uh, we don't know that much because they destroyed all traces or as much as they could. But it appears to be Vedic culture, and of course, Prabhupada said that also. But uh, at least some idea of God is there, even if it's a very vague and twisted. That there's a God who we should believe in and follow His orders. That much, if anyone tries to preach in a Thailand, I already mentioned Thailand, getting back to Thailand, or Japan, or places where the culture, there's no belief in God. It's not part of their culture to accept that there is a supreme being who we have to worship who's controlling us on it, and Buddhism, this, uh, Shintoism. In these religions, there's no supreme God. And it's very difficult to preach in those places, because people they have no... It's just not in their culture, it's not in their understanding. They don't have a, even a concept of a supreme God, or a supreme being. Uh, so... Uh, something good is there. But on the other hand, the way they depict God and the way they present religion, uh, it's all, <laughs> it almost cancels out the good that they do. Because, uh, especially, I mean, of course, they're not every Christian is the same, but, uh, yeah, especially in the modern world, the, the, we find that modern world means since the time of the so-called enlightenment, people have been, uh, Gradually turning, or many people have turned away from description of biblical descriptions of God 
Uh, the enlightenment, well, it's a nice term, although how much people became enlightened is questionable, but there was a search for understanding reality at some level, looking through telescopes and seeing that from what they can see, the sun doesn't go around the earth. The, the, uh, we got it wrong. And they were, they were trying to understand reality. So in that sense, it was, uh, it was a noble effort. But then, the, how that clashed with the dogma of the priests, it, it, it set up knowledge against religion. Even the uh, even at one time it was dangerous to believe in what are called Arabic numerals, which are actually Vedic numerals, because when they first got introduced, the church didn't like it. And if the church didn't like something, and you didn't follow what they said, you're in a very dangerous position. So anyway, it got accepted. Uh, there was a time until fairly recently when women didn't have souls. So... Hard luck, ladies. Anyway, now you've got souls. But, you know, there are whole, whole generations of women didn't have souls at all. And, uh, I don't know what happened to them after they died. But, <laughs> but uh, the animals still don't have souls. Unlucky for them. So, uh, yeah, what, what happened was that in the, in, cultural understanding, knowledge became pitted against religion and religion practically took the role of not, they, they fell into the role of not having knowledge. And they, they just uh, placed everything on belief. Whereas science, as it's supposed to be, is purporting to give actual knowledge. And of course they don't have actual knowledge and they cannot have actual knowledge and they, uh, some of them realize that and that, and their knowledge is always changing, what they call knowledge is always changing. Uh, so in the secular world, there should not be any secular world separate from the religious world because if we actually know God, we should know everything. Or we, or we should at least uh, God has given the scriptures it's reasonable to accept that he's given if, if, if we just try to uh, logically understand or with our intelligence try to understand okay the world is going on it's highly ordered that suggests a purpose people don't make a highly ordered machine for nothing if you go to an inventor's fair and there's a machine with pulleys and lights and Things going up and down, it looks very complex. You ask, what does it do? It doesn't do anything. And what, do, people don't invent things not to do anything, just to make a show. So if we accept that the, yeah, so there's a machine, uh, the, the whole universe is like a machine, and if we accept there's a machine which is going on, there should be some purpose, there should be some purposeful person behind it, and the, he's giving us scripture, what we call scripture, to understand what is the purpose of the universe, what is the nature of the uh, creator of the universe, why he has created, what is our role in it, and everything else. And we actually find that in the uh, Vedic corpus, there's knowledge of everything. Whatever one may, it's not that everyone can know everything, but knowledge of all facets of human experience and even more importantly even beyond our experience everything is there knowledge of farming economics astronomy astrology time everything is described there all kinds of scientific and aesthetic uh, knowledge is given there so uh, if we accept that there is God then we should know everything, but somehow or other religion and knowledge, they became separated. So that in, of course, it's 
speaking in a very simplistic way as is necessary when we're discussing uh, trends in or cultural trends in human society is necessary to speak in generalities. So, uh, in the Western world, it's come to a state where uh, the, the churches have left the business of knowledge up to the scientists. And for their part, it's just believing in that which is beyond our scope of measuring. And you're just supposed to know it, uh, to, to believe it. And that's all. And if you don't believe it, well, you go to hell. So they, they've said a very, uh, talking in a very absolute way. Believe or burn. People uh, are a little bit intelligent and have gone into matters and seen the complexity of the human situation. They think this is just stupid, which it is actually. So you have on one side people speaking in a very absolute way. And on the other side, those who speak in a relativistic way. But both of them are ignorant. Neither of them know what is actual reality. This idea that, well, we can't know anything properly or fully, and we're always trying to expand our knowledge and trying to understand, that in itself is a, the very approach is a kind of atheism. Because, again, if we accept that there is a supreme controller, then he should be able to present us knowledge, actual knowledge. There should not be any need for research institutes to send probes into space to make photos and then you speculate about what's, what's this photo and, and gradually build up knowledge of this tiny speck which is called what they call our solar system. And anyway, what's the use of doing that anyway? But uh, if there's God, which any reasonable person should accept, then he should give us knowledge of what we need to know. And indeed he does. And we'll find in the ancient Vedic culture there was knowledge of everything. And even in Srimad Bhagavatam we have knowledge of a description of time scientifically described from uh, the nanosecond or thereabouts to the cosmic time. And there are, there are uh, names for numbers, which are huge numbers, which in, which in uh, medieval or even present human society in the West, they don't have any names for such numbers. They just say 10 to the power of 2,000, 20,000 or whatever. They don't have actual names. The, the very fact that there are names for huge numbers suggests that people were, at least the specialists, in, especially in astronomy, they would be using these, uh, the, these names, suggests that they are regularly discussed, among themselves at least, they regularly discussed and they conceptualized such uh, huge numbers. So it gives a, that gives some insight into the scope of Vedic knowledge. And then we have in the Bhagavatam what was only discovered recently, fairly recently in the West, how the uh, embryo develops within the womb in different stages within the Ten months. In the Bhagavatam it said ten months because the uh, Vedic month is shorter than the, than the, the, the uh, Gregorian month. It's a little shorter. So it's up to ten months. So in this way we find all kinds... Of, even now there are so many things. that uh, In India there's that uh, Dhruva Stambha in Delhi which is called the... What's that called? The Mikata. What is that? They've, they've given a, an Islamic name to it now. Mina something, Katar Mina. Hmm? Kutab Mina. Kutab Mina. So uh, it's standing, although there's nothing to support it. It stood through years of hurry, you know, storms. And, and it's not even slightly rusted. It's totally pure iron. And no one has any idea how to make such pure iron. 
And it's just one of the things in uh, in India, which. And then we have, of course, there are pyramids, and no one has any idea how they could have made them. So many things. There's, there are people around the world who are interested in studying whatever's left of ancient civilizations, which wasn't, which was not destroyed, or deliberately destroyed by envious people who wanted to. Uh, who, they were just envious of people's uh, opulence of knowledge and technology and engineering, and wanted to show that we are better in all respects. There are many, many examples. Just like the the weavers of East Bengal made Muslim cloth so fine that one uh, there's a story. One in Bengal, one Muslim Nawab he told his daughter to go and dress properly. She said, I've already got 13, uh, 13 dresses on. They're so fine that still her body could be uh, seen through that. So the British didn't like this, so they uh, rounded up all the, t- all, the produce- all the weavers and cut their thumbs off, and that was the end of Muslim. And there are so many examples. Yeah. Many, many like this. So, uh, yeah, knowledge of this world is given in the Vedic corpus. But those who don't know, they pres- because they're going by the climbing method, Arohana Panta, they're just trying to find out by their own endeavors, by experiment, they become very proud when they discover something. Uh, and, and they can never properly know anything by such a, by such a, a method. Definitely the knowledge of the universe, how are we going to, how much can we understand about this universe? Just like if we see some ants crawling around, even if they have intelligence of a human, which of course they don't, but our intelligence on the cosmic scale, our intelligence is not much more than that of an ant. So, you know, forget Einstein, uh, Lord Brahma, compared to him, we're just a bunch of imbeciles. Or any demigod, they're, they're all highly intelligent. So a little ant crawling around, even if he had the uh, intelligence of a human, in some ways of course they already do, because they cooperate instead of fighting against each other. But, uh, no, there are no ants there. In India, they look, there's a good chance they'd be there. So, uh, how much could they understand of this building? They, they only have their antish society. So what do they know? They know our, their whole life revolves around finding some dead mosquito and pulling it back to the ant hole or the ant heap. Or uh, if they're really lucky, someone will have dropped some grains of sugar. And that's their whole existence. That's all they know is venturing out, finding some dead minor, some small dead body or some grain of sugar and bringing it back and eating it. So even if they had intelligence, uh, how much could they, how could, they might not even know, they might be living in this room and not know, they have no idea that this is a temple, and they're a human being. They might even not know, know they're human beings because they're so big in compa- comparison to their body. They may put some fancy long Latin name for some syndrome, which actually means you just suddenly, you die. Which, what actually happens is a human treads on you, but you don't know because it's beyond, we're so big compared to, you, they might be crawling on our body and no idea what, what we are, who we are. For them, it's just some other some other plane of movement. They, they, you know, what we're thinking, what, you go, or if we're really nasty, we'll go, Argh! and they got the syndrome again. But uh, it's it's beyond their scope to understand what to speak of the whole city of Los Angeles and what's going on here. It's beyond their scope of of uh, what's the word conception, mental conception. Trividha Sima, this uh, Yamuna Acharya, he describes Krishna as being beyond the three limitations, which are time, space, and thought. 
Krishna is not limited by time, he's not limited by space, he's also not limited by what we imagine him to be. We, we think that, well, we should understand, or we try to imagine who is God, or what he should be like, but he, he's beyond our ant-like scope to conceive of within our imagination. And that's not only true of us, that's true of Lord Brahma also. <laughs> so, uh, this relativistic approach, that, well, we're just trying to find out and we can't know anything for sure, and that this uh, is... In, in one sense, it's a protest against the absolutism of the church who said, it, everything is like this. And then graduate is found, well, uh, all right, it's not actually like that. All right, well, the sun doesn't go around the earth. Okay, the earth goes around the sun. Okay, we'll concede that. And they had to concede practically everything, one after another. Roman numerals were liked by God and not Arabic numerals. And mm, All right, okay. Arabic numerals are okay, and uh, all right, well, okay, women have souls, and okay, Ch Charles Darwin was right, and practically everything that they stated as an absolute value given by God, they just had to concede it all. So, why should anyone respect such absolutism? But still there are, still there are people who they have to believe in the Bible. 2010 version of the Bible, 2010 version of our interpretation of the Bible, which even even the Bible bashers, they don't, they probably don't even know how much their their belief in the Bible has been compromised by people who don't believe in the Bible. And for people who don't believe in the Bible, they just think it's a big joke. Which, sorry to say, a lot of it is, because they are claiming. Both sides are claiming to present knowledge when actually they don't have uh, clear knowledge. And this relativistic approach has, has uh, filtered into everything. So there, there's nothing's very clear. There's no right or wrong. Nothing's clearly right. or clear. if, if it feels right, then it must be right. Or... Yeah, what is right or what is wrong? Well, it's not my fault I, I killed my mother. I, I mean, it's just the society I was raised in. You know, I, I saw someone, someone can argue like this. I was raised in this society. I was unfortunate and then one day I stabbed my mother and why should I go to prison? All of you go to prison because I was raised in your society. Your society made me bad. There's no, no one takes responsibility no one has uh, clear knowledge of anything. And ultimately it just comes down to what everyone thinks. Because no one can, no one's allowed to uh, express clear knowledge of anything. Not allowed to means that no, no one will accept. If anyone says that this is absolute, then this is true. What is true? And people don't even believe there is any truth. Asatyama pratishtante. By not having faith in the supreme controller, then they just come to a platform of meaninglessness. There's no ultimate basis to anything. And people, they, some people have faith, but that faith is just blind faith in which not, to have knowledge is not preferred. That's always been, even in Islam today, and at least previously in Christianity, the idea of don't read the scriptures. In Sikhism, you're not allowed to read the scriptures unless you're initiated. And they'll find it's full of the Guru Granth Sahib's full of Krishna and Rama. And they don't want people to know that. So uh, the, the knowledge of the scripture was conferred, kept to a few. And they told that for the mass of people, just don't, don't study scripture. Then you'll become confused. Don't, don't know. Just believe. Just do what we say. And others, uh, on, on the one side they have this blind absolutism, and on the other side some attempt at knowledge, but it just it doesn't go anywhere. They have no direction. Uh, definitely the direction doesn't lead to God, because if that's 
God, that's what all those stupid people believe in, right? So, where does it lead us to? And on both sides, it's just ignorance. The whole, and the world is very confused, as we see. And then people, they just believe. It comes down to, well, what, what you believe is right. That's all. If it's good for you, if you like it, okay. No, ab, no clear knowledge. So much not the age of information and no clear knowledge of anything. So we see that uh, especially America is very much culturally divided over this. On one side there's the intelli- what's this intelligent design and on the other side there's the uh, those who believe that life has arisen from matter. This is scientific. Can't demonstrate it, but it's scientific. And it seems that the scientific or, or the knowledge of that science is bringing to light, or what they call knowledge, is tipping the scale towards intelligent design. But the problem with that is that, okay, well then you have to accept there's God, and then you have to go back to all this Bible bashing stuff, which <laughs> knowledge leads you to ignorance. So, so you can sympathize in some way with the atheistic, pro-evolution, pro-Big Bang, uh, so-called scientists, because you know, it's from their perspective, it's better just to be a, just to uh, be a scientist than have to. Why? But uh, this stuff it just doesn't make any sense at all. That the the all-loving God created you on a whim, and if you don't believe in Him, you go to hell forever. Etc. Etc. What all these silly ideas? They make so many theological problems. Therefore, they have to invent limbo and purgatory and all kinds of funny things. That's in the Catholic, you know, your Catholic background, right? So, uh, what to do? It's what to do? Distribute Prabhupada's books. Janmadya syayaton vyaditra tas chateish vipigna swaratene brahmaridaya adike kaviye muhyanti yatsuya. Scientific knowledge of God. Knowledge that can satisfy, if, if people are not just totally dogmatic in the intelligent, the, among the intelligent class of people, they will accept that this is knowledge which is not just believe with, in what? Believe in God. Well, okay, uh, what does he look like? Where does he live? Uh, what does he do? Uh, don't know, don't know, don't know. You don't know anything about him, but you have to believe in him. And you have to give your whole life to him and base your whole life on believing in something of which we have practically no description. It's it's totally unappealing. But if we give knowledge of who he is and why we're in this situation, we give knowledge means Krishna has given this knowledge. Why are we suffering in this material world? They can't say. They say, Either God's a jerk or uh, he's just not quite up to the job. He couldn't. Either he's not all powerful or he's not all merciful. The, the two cannot be true. But we have one line of Bhagavad Gita. This philosophical or theological problem, which has tormented Western theologians, this is Purusha Sukadukanam We are ourselves the cause of our own suffering and distress in this material world. We have the choice to choose to be in the material world or not to be in it. So scientific knowledge of God uh, presented with Krishna is presenting to Arjuna. You wanna you wanna follow or not? It's up to you. You learn everything and then you decide. And not that well, you just you believe or you're thrown into hell forever. But we have in, in this first verse of Srimad Bhagavatam more clear theistic knowledge than more knowledge of God than just in one verse. Than in all the Western speculations put together. They don't really know who they're talking about. So this actually our movement has very good scope. In, in so many ways, is solving this problem of intelligent design versus blind belief, uh, 
giving alternative way of life, alternative society to people who... Re- so many people realize this, and it's not very difficult to realize it. The whole society, the whole promise of happiness of the Western society, the promise is running out. It's run out. It never, it never was fulfilled. It never could be fulfilled because there is no happiness in this material world. But the idea that we we'll all live together nicely, we'll educate everyone, and then everyone will be nice. But what's what's it come down to? See the world in 2010. No one's happy. Everyone's in anxiety. So Srila Prabhupada has given us the knowledge, and Krishna has given us the knowledge and way of life by which uh, we can answer all questions. Actually, we can answer all questions. There's no knowledge even slightly approaching the knowledge that Prabhupada has given. And we find that Prabhupada, he would meet anyone and speak with them. He had, he had, here in Los Angeles, he met so many scientists. What religious person will speak with a, with a nuclear physicist and have the physicist admit that, yes, actually you're right. Srila Prabhupada did it, right here. Prabhupada knew everything. At one time, one reporter asked Prabhupada, do you know everything? He asked him sarcastically. And Prabhupada said, yeah, it seems like that. <laughs> Krishna is giving me the answers. That's recorded in Rancho Prabhu's recent book, Prabhupada in England. Prabhupada said, yeah, seems I know everything. Yomameva samudho janati purushottamam sasarvavidbhajatimam sarvabhavena bharata. Krishna says, one who knows me as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, without doubting, he knows everything in all respects. So, yeah, we, we have all the answers, actually, to all the problems of the world. And it's not so... It seems extremely complex how to get out of this terrible situation the world's in, but it's not at all. Not at all complex. It's very easy, actually. Instead of chasing after sense gratification, we simply accept that we're meant to serve Krishna. And when Krishna's served then everything falls into place very naturally. Then exploitation, cheating, corruption, lying. Of course, we need a king also. To, it's not that everyone overnight will uh, give up these things, but society can be greatly improved and uh, by introducing these principles of Bhagavad Dharma. So, that's the challenge for us. I... Blind absolutism versus blind relativism. We, but give knowledge. The, the cause of all problems is ignorance. Srila Prabhupada gave that understanding. Whereas most people think the cause of all problems is I don't have enough money. I don't have enough sense gratification. Or the cause of all problems is my wife or my husband or the president of the United States or the guy next door, or my boss. But the cause of all our problems is our own foolishness, our own lack of desire to understand who we are, what is our situation. We are, we are not the controller. We are controlled. To accept that, simple point to understand. We don't want to grow old, we are forced to grow old. We don't want to die, we are forced to die. We are controlled. It's so difficult for the conditioned soul to accept this because his sense of independence, I shall enjoy, his whole identity is based on rejection of the fact, which should be obvious, that we are controlled. Ishvaroham aham hogi. I am the controller, I am the enjoyer. And just to accept that I am controlled I'm meant for contributing to the enjoyment of the controller. So difficult for people to accept that even in religion, then people are thinking, there, yeah, I'll, I'll become a martyr and then I'll enjoy unlimited virgins. No idea of serving God. 
I'll do that for him. He'll be happy if I blow up a few American soldiers. <laughs> and then, uh, then I'll be dead and I'll, they'll all go to hell. And I'll go to heaven where God will supply me unlimited virgins forever for my pious act of killing some American soldiers. <laughs> so, the whole idea, I shall enjoy, I shall, Ishvara, I, sh I shall dominate the virgins and bring them under me. God has to go on creating more and more eternally virgins. And then what happens after that when they become deflowered? Who knows? I don't think they don't think. It doesn't make any sense. So why should any intelligent person accept that? But they should accept this. We can present what? Intelligent person should accept this. Unless they're totally impious, then they should accept this. So, uh, blind absolutism, blind relativism, and enlightened knowledge of the absolute truth, the supreme reality, who is Krishna. What's that verse? Muk Mukunda Prabhu from Krishna Kanamrita. This, uh, I was a worshipper of the impersonal Brahman, and then he, he's. What is that Bilba Mangal says? Yeah. I was a worshipper of the uh, impersonal absolute, and then this, what is it, this little boy, uh, instead I'd been forcibly converted into the worshipper of, what is it, the. Maid hmm? Maidservant? Of. Of a cowherd boy, yeah. So, Hare Krishna. Any question about this? Here I have, I've written one note here. Misplaced absolutism misrepresents ultimate reality and relativism denies the possibility of its existence. So there is any ultimate reality. Mm, yeah. Just wait, please. Yeah, now take the mic and speak into that. Exchanging views Exchanging views? Exchanging theological views. We don't exchange theological views. Theological views are all useless. <laughs> theological view means you don't know what you're talking about. There is reality. The very idea that we shall exchange theological views is in itself atheism. If we have theological views, that means we don't know what we're talking about. We don't think that God has, is able to communicate reality to us. Theological view means that's our view. But Krishna consciousness means to see the universe as Krishna sees it. So we see through the eye of Shastra. What is reality? Just like uh, who is that? In Canada, some devotees, they went to, they told Prabhupada, you can see that in one conversation, that we went to an interfaith conference and all the people were speaking and then the devotee said, okay, so, so far there's been so much discussion. Now let us come to the uh, topic, what is actually the nature of the absolute truth? And then everyone got upset. <laughs> they didn't want to discuss it's, they just wanted to give their views. But what is actually the nature of the absolute truth? How to ascertain that? They didn't actually want to discuss that. Because it sounded like someone was saying, well, we actually know. And their idea, the, this exchanging theological views, means no one actually knows. So what's the point? If you don't know, what's the point of even discussing? If we know, we should say. If we don't know, we should listen. So don't exchange theological views. <laughs> Don't have theological views. Just accept. And, and, and then of course people may say, well, why should we accept? Our book says this, your book says that, so it's just our book against your book. Okay, compare your book to our book. Take the first verse of Srimad Bhagavatam. We don't need to give you all the 18,000 verses. Just give one verse and compare that with everything you have in your book. It's already more than everything you've got. So how much do you... 
if we the same point, if we don't know who is God, what is our relationship with Him, what He wants of us, what is the nature of the spiritual world, then why? How are we going to surrender? How are we going to serve Him? Why should we? Any intelligent person will ask that. They're asking you to base your whole life on belief in a God who they have no idea of who He is. It's not reasonable. So, no theological views. You were going to ask a question, but I cut you out at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) But still, uh, uh, for example, the government will not allow us to emphasize one religion over the other. Yeah, it's again, it's relativism that all everyone's in ignorance, so you're allowed to be in ignorance in your own different ways. Right? Everyone's, no one knows, so everyone's just allowed to express their feelings in different ways. And a bona fide religion is one that's been around a long time and has many followers. That's the definition of a bona fide religion. Even if they believe that by killing others of other religions, if it was a new religion, they'd suppress it as a dangerous cult. But because it's been around a long time, they say, well, it's a bona fide religion. They don't know what a bona fide religion is. Bona fide religion means there should be bona fide knowledge of God. And then they would bring someone like that saying, okay, so you claim to have the absolute truth. So Can you speak in, speak in the mic? And then they would say that... Good, good, let them bring it up. If they challenge us, good. Then we'll explain. If they want, they challenge us that you're saying you have knowledge of the absolute truth, then we say, yes, for sure. We should be. It's good if they say that, if they say if they challenge us. How can you say you have knowledge of the absolute truth? It's good, then we'll explain. But they're not doing that, they're just asking for theological views. <laughs> absolute truth is a term they don't like. You can say something, Mahatma Prabhu? No, you okay. So is that all? Anyone like to yes, Mukunda Prabhu. Thank you, just to follow up from his question and your answer, um, in the first chapter, there's also that verse, Yaswanu Abham Akhilashuddhi Saramekam, in praise of Sikhoswami. It emphasizes the experience, and the personal experience is that that's the truth, rather than, you could say, a social ecclesiastical view or theological view or Or even Shastric view from that point of view. A formal Shastric view. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it seems like you, maybe you're going to, in your next class, you could develop that. It's a big topic, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Relativism, relativism will let everyone believe what they like. It seems to be better than, in some ways, than the absolutism of presenting you have to believe in this and then someone else will say no, no, you believe in this and neither of them have very solid grounds It's that both of them have blind faith so it's just one blind faith against another but relativism, this, it, uh, relativism also blocks the way to the truth for a jiva because there, there's, there is no absolute truth so yes, there is absolute truth but again, we shouldn't we say the same thing actually that this is the way you should go this way but we don't present it just that believe, believe, believe no, first of all understand belief has to be there some, some faith has to be there initial faith has to be there that yes there seems to be something good here let me investigate further Neither blind faith, there should be neither blind faith nor blind rejection, but a uh, sincere search for understanding what is the nature of reality. Atato Brahma Jignasa. Jivasya Tattva Jignasa. One should live for the sake of inquiring into the nature of reality. And if that is there, then, uh, yeah, then one can inquire, one can learn, uh, and one should Ask questions in the way that Arjuna did. 
It's not even encouraged in other traditions. And find someone who can answer, as Krishna does. Hmm. So we'll finish there, unless anyone has anything else. Yes, something else to be said. And we're over time again, but it doesn't matter, does it? It's Sunday and there's no book distribution party to run out. <laughs> they, they're not here. Yeah, okay. Thank you very much. Um, you were saying about um, the places where it's impossible to preach because uh, people don't believe that they're supreme. Well, it's not impossible, but it is difficult. But by, oh, okay. yeah, that's they don't even have a conception. They don't even where people don't even have a conception of God. It's like going to a place and talking of Kangalastras, right? I just made the. Uh, I was just talking about Kangalastras. If I speak to you about Kangalastras. Hmm? I don't know what it means. Oh. You never saw a Kangalastra? No. Okay. You don't know either. Okay. Well, it's just a word I just made up right now. It doesn't have... It doesn't have any meaning. So if I say... If I made up the word, then it doesn't mean anything to you. So if you go among Thais and try to speak about God doesn't mean anything to them. It's, you can try and explain, but there's, it's just not in their... Their whole way, the Buddhistic way of thinking is such that it just preempts any possibility of forming a, even a conception of there being a supreme person, a supreme God. Because their understanding is that there is nothing. Ultimately, there is nothing. I, I don't know how they do it. I, how you can go through life thinking that everything... I, even, the, even the people who are not educated, but it's just so deeply in the culture that we are just... Again, I don't know what they're thinking exactly because it's, it's almost like a ghostly way of thinking. That nothing, nothing actually exists. Nothing is real. But that's the philosophy. Most people don't know the philosophy. They've not studied the philosophy. But uh, even without studying the philosophy, just like most people, they've not studied the philosophy of relativism or absolutism, but they're much influenced by it. it, 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 go, it the whole worldview that's propagated in the, or is, is extended in the society is influenced by that. So, people, they don't have any conception of God. It's, it's very, very difficult to preach to them at all. So, it is possible by Harinam, distribution of Prabhupada's books. But even, it's very difficult to, to present Srila Prabhupada's books in Thailand. I was in Thailand for some time. And their language is, is it has a lot of sans, words directly derived from Sanskrit. And especially the terms which are used in their religious uh, vocabulary. They're all derived from Sanskrit, but they're all laden with Buddhistic, Voidistic meanings. Just like the word nirvana we'll find in Bhagavad Gita. Krishna is not a Buddhist. He's not preaching Buddhism. But that word has been appropriated by the Buddhists to describe a state which they say is a Again, it's, what is it? It's, it's no existence. But that's not what, that's not the original meaning. But that's what it's come to mean in their understanding. Or like the word Zen. We say Zen Buddhism. Zen is taken from Dhyana. It's derived from Dhyana, meditation. But their understanding of meditation and the Shastric understanding is, Dhyana avastita tadgatena manasa pashanti yam yoginaha. Dhyana means meditation on Vishnu. Their, their whole understanding is warped and twisted. So it's very difficult to even speak the words that we need to speak to describe Krishna and everything in relation to Krishna has already been taken and 
the, the meaning has been changed so that when they hear the word, they just hear voidism, voidism, voidism. So it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to preach in those places. By the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, gradually something can go on. But again, we see, generally speaking, in the, uh, in Europe, in the Catholic countries, people take to Christian countries better than in, more than in the Protestant countries. It's a cult, it's a cultural reason because the whole mindset of people in Protestant countries is, uh, well, they don't accept any spiritual authority. It's just, it's like Ridnikism. There's the book and me. And I, I have my direct relationship to God. And, uh, and they generally reject any form. There's no pictures. It's, it's very impersonalistic and dry and cold. Whereas in Catholicism, at least they have faith, even, even if it's misplaced faith in saints and spiritual leaders, which is necessary. So, cultural background does make a lot of difference. And India, of course, you see the cultural background still is, even though uh, by the influence of Kali Yuga there's a lot of contamination coming, but the very fact that, uh, that Krishna conscious or various schools of bhakti have been so prominent always in India, or, or f- well, especially, uh, of course, India went through various phases, but... Uh, since the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and before him, Ramanuja, Madhva and others, the, the culture of bhakti is very strong there, so people can very easily take to it. So it's not impossible.